You are listening to the Healthcare Analytics Podcast with me, Caleb Loya. Working with me to make this happen is my teammate, Tatsuya Murao. A little over a decade ago, I got to spend a summer in Istanbul, Turkey. If you don't know anything about Istanbul, Turkey, it's one of the best cities in the world. And what I mean when I say that is that Istanbul, Turkey is a mixture of Western modernity and then Eastern and ancient architecture. It mixes the old with the new, mixes the European with the Middle Eastern in very, very interesting ways. And so before I go into this story, I'd like to say that if you haven't been to Istanbul, Turkey, it's not a bad place to go. It's actually really fun. There's so many things to do. You can get around relatively easily and the people are genuinely nice and friendly and and they're open to many different things. All this to say is that about 12 years ago, I spent an entire summer in Istanbul, Turkey. And while spending a summer there, I met a friend who happened to know some of the shopkeepers at the Grand Bazaar. If you don't know anything about the Grand Bazaar, what it is, it's essentially an indoor marketplace with countless shops. And what I mean by countless is that my friend, he said that if you don't really know where you're going in the Grand Bazaar, you could get lost and be lost in the Grand Bazaar for hours, thinking you're in one place of the Grand Bazaar, but really you're in the other. And because it's very difficult to get a cell phone reception in this edifice or in this building, then you really need to watch out where you go because if you take a wrong turn and don't really recognize you took that turn and you get lost and you are going in circles, then it will be very, very difficult to get out of the Grand Bazaar. All this to say is that while I was there with my friend at the Grand Bazaar, he made friends with some of the shopkeepers. And so we would go and we would visit with all the shopkeepers that he knew as an insider. And so because they were friends, he would always just go and say, hey, how are you doing? They'd sometimes have tea that you could drink and it would be an experience, right? But as an insider, he got to give us a little bit of a perspective on how he treated or how they treated the tourists that would come in. And the tourists would come in from many different places. Sometimes they would come in from these big cruise ships that would park on the Bosphorus. And so the Bosphorus is this big, huge strait that runs really in the middle of Europe and Asia or Europe and the Middle East. And so this Bosphorus is this one connecting piece of water that is part of Istanbul, where there is a European side of Istanbul and a Asian side of Istanbul. But this Bosphorus acts as a channel that ships big and small come into in order to get to the Black Sea and get up to Russia. All that to say is that many times there would be these humongous cruise ships that would come and they would park on the Bosphorus and all the tourists would, one of the places they would go is the Grand Bazaar. And so here I am at the Grand Bazaar with my friend and the shopkeeper, and we're just having a good time just talking about this, that, and the other. And then tourists would come by and they would ask, hey, how much is this spice? How much is this trinket, etc." And the interesting thing for me is that the shopkeeper wouldn't give 
the same price every time. He would try to negotiate with the tourists in order to get the best price he could. And so if there was a man that's coming by and he's all firm and, and let's say direct, then he would give one price. But if there was a woman who really wanted to have this negotiation, then he would give her another price altogether. And I thought this was interesting because what it really meant was that it's part of the negotiating that brings value to that good and more than just this is the price. And for Americans, it can be really frustrating because if we walk into, let's say, a Walmart or a Target, then we know how much it costs and then we can compare it against other shops. But the interesting thing about, let's say, somebody at Grand Bazaar is that there's only this one thing or you can get this one spice here or you have to try to find another place in this huge Grand Bazaar where they sell, sell exactly the same thing. And wherever you sell it before, they don't list their price either. And so you are pretty much stuck in the same mode of negotiating for a specific price for a specific good. And so I thought it was interesting because it was all fun and play, right? It was like from the shopkeeper's perspective, it was all very light and fun. And the even though the price went up and down depending on who came in or what price they could negotiate, it was an experience that at least the shopkeeper wanted. And the tourists and people coming to buy knew that this was the same experience. And I would witness sometimes where the shopkeeper would charge two, three times more for, let's say, a scarf than somebody else. And so if somebody says, hey, I'm really only willing to pay $25 for the scarf, and that's the lowest they're wanting to go, then the shopkeeper's like, well, okay, I'll give you $25, knowing that my initial cost is 3 or $4. But if somebody else comes in, then they may charge them $75 to $100 per scarf. And that's a really good deal for that person. And so I got some inside understanding of how these negotiations work. And at the Grand Bazaar, it's really similar to some places, let's say in Central America or other places, let's say in, in Jerusalem or any other place where this kind of market takes place. All this to say is that this long story reminds me of how price transparency works in healthcare where if you have one person come in, then it could be a different price than somebody else. And it's very difficult to understand what differentiates one person's price of getting a surgery or getting a healthcare procedure versus somebody else. And so even though as patients, we don't have that negotiation power, that negotiation power is happening behind the scenes in healthcare. In any market, pricing is one of the mechanisms that determines value or helps inform the value of any good or service. Yes, I understand that this is Econ 101, but pricing when it comes to healthcare is unique because of the different players who are involved in determining prices. At the very least, there's the patient, there is the insurance company, and then there's the provider. And oftentimes, there is a government entity behind the three, at least, players when it comes to determining prices. In Canada, for example, the government plays a key role in determining prices. In the United States, depending on the circumstance, it can play a back role or it could play a imperceptible role 
or it could play an active role in determining prices. So when it comes to pricing, understanding that pricing is very important, you need to understand the mechanism of pricing within healthcare. And for a patient, pricing in healthcare can feel like that person going into the Grand Bazaar and trying to buy, let's say, a scarf. And he asks himself, well, why does this procedure or why does this service cost more than another procedure? Or why is this twice as expensive as it would have been in another hospital? And this is for everything from the cost of, let's say, insulin to the cost of fixing a broken leg or a broken bone. All of these have a different cost. And you can even go to the same hospital and be a different patient and receive a different price than somebody else. And the reason why, more or less, is because the negotiation power for negotiating the price of a good or service is not necessarily between the patient or you and the provider, but it's usually between the provider and the insurance company behind the scenes. And so because you pay a premium to a health insurance company, then they're the ones who have the negotiating power with the healthcare provider about how much they're going to pay for a good or service. What this typically means is that if you're using a bigger insurance company, then you're more likely than not to get at least the best price for the good or service you're looking for. If you are, let's say, using an insurance that isn't as common or isn't as prominent in your area, then you're more likely to pay a higher price because that insurance company doesn't have as great of a negotiating power as other insurance companies. And this is why Medicare and Medicaid usually have the best prices because they have so many patients within Medicare and Medicaid that the government can essentially dictate what prices healthcare providers have to charge. What this means is that many major hospital systems will use the prices of different procedures and services in order for them to get the best result that they can. So to give you an example, suppose that there are a certain series of procedures that are mandated by Medicare and Medicaid to be at a certain price. If it doesn't cost that price, then they will then charge insurance companies or charge other patients a higher amount in order to cover the cost and subsidize the cost for those who are under Medicare and Medicaid. What this means is that in order for the healthcare provider to fulfill their financial obligations and stay afloat, what they'll sometimes do is they'll sometimes use other prices to subsidize their lower cost leaders. And so if they have a lot of volume, let's say from Medicare and Medicaid, for any given number of services, if those services cost more to provide than what they're getting from Medicare and Medicaid, then sometimes they will overcharge or they will charge more to, let's say, private insurance companies for those goods or services so that, that they can meet their costs and meet their budget in the long term. Now, this isn't something that if you read any other article out there, it's not explicit that healthcare providers do so. But from a financial perspective, it makes sense. You know, like any organization will have a loss leader that they make up in some other way. And so that is not uncommon in any industry. But what is definitely unique about healthcare is that you have prices that are, let's say, mandated by the government in one area, but you can also cover those costs if there's a shortfall 
by negotiating different rates with different healthcare insurance companies. And if you are, let's say, a person who is paying out of pocket, then that negotiating power goes right out the window because you're essentially an army of one trying to fight an entire system. And so it's very difficult to get anything done as a single payer or as an out-of-pocket payer in contrast to having insurance that helps you in that negotiation of different goods or services. If I were paying out-of-pocket, what I would probably do is I would just go to another country where there's a different market for these goods or services. And so as an example, there are many people who are, let's say, going to Mexico to get insulin instead of the United States because they can pay out of pocket and it's a fraction of the cost as it as it is here in the United States. But there's just so many reasons why, let's say, insulin or basic drugs are way outside the normal realm of what it costs than other countries. And so if you're paying out of pocket for these things, I'd say find another market and take a vacation every now and then to get the specific goods you need. That's just my advice, not medical advice, but somebody who understands at least the basics of healthcare. That's something I've seen done in medical tourism that is something that will then now grow as there are different inefficiencies with healthcare in various countries. This is common for Canadians to do already. And this has been something that Canadians have done for, let's say, the last 20, 30 years. I remember in the 80s or 90s, you would have Canadians who would come down to Central America for their basic healthcare needs and then go back up to Canada in the spring and summer months. Uh, so that they could live six months in Canada, but also come and live somewhere else for six months out of the year. And so this kind of thing is not uncommon, but it can be more prominent if there are more inefficiencies in healthcare. All this to say is that as patients, we don't want to be like that tourist who comes in from a big cruise line and pays an exorbitant price for a good or service. What we want is we want to be insiders that have an understanding of how it actually works and what price is actually reasonable. And this is more and more possible with the advent of price transparency. The thinking behind healthcare price transparency is that if different patients understood the top line price that different hospital systems and providers were charging, then they would be able to compare prices and make a better decision. And so in 2019, there was an executive order that came out that effective January 1 of 2021, there should be a place where every single healthcare provider posts their charge master rate and potentially their negotiated rate. Now, I'm going to take a step back and explain what a charge master rate is. Specifically, a charge master rate is the top line rate that any hospital charges. And so think of this as like the retail rate at any store, that there is a top line retail rate that anybody charges for anything. And then from there, there can be discounts that are applied from that top rate. And so a charge master rate is the same way. And so what many hospitals will do is say, this is our charge master rate or our top line rate if you want this service done. But that is not necessarily the negotiated rate. They will then negotiate down with other insurance companies about what other insurance companies will pay for specific services in healthcare. 
What this means is that even though many different healthcare systems today post their charge master rate for any different procedure, drugs, or diagnosis-related group, whatever the case, they'll post their charge master rate, but that's not necessarily the negotiated rate that they negotiate with specific healthcare insurance companies about the prices that they're actually charging on the back end. What I do believe is that posting this charge master rate is at least a good place to start. No, it's not the end result of understanding that negotiated rate, but it is at least a good place to begin the conversation of price transparency. And so if you look for any given number of hospital system, let's say in your area, you could probably find the website page or just website where they post their charge master rates and one of the ways I did this was simply searching for healthcare prices and then name the hospital system that I was looking for. And it was easy for me to find in five minutes healthcare pricing for Cleveland Hospital, for Trinity Health up in Chicago, and Methodist Hospitals down in Texas. And that was a quick five-minute search where I would go to a page, it would have a spreadsheet that I would download, and then it would give me the prices for the diagnosis-related group, or the DRG. And so once you download that, there will be two different main codes that they're using, and sometimes maybe a third. But the two main ones are DRG or Diagnosis Related Group or CPT-10 or CPT codes. Most pricing in the United States is designated by these two different things. And they both have different mechanisms by which they describe the service that they are providing. But typically what this means is that for any given number of service, drug, or procedure, then there will be a diagnosis-related group or a CPT code, which stands for Current Procedural Terminology Code. All this to say is that when you look at these spreadsheets, you will often see a diagnosis-related group. And this diagnosis-related group is the diagnosis provided to you for that procedure. And so, for example, if I have a broken bone, then I have to get a diagnosis saying, this dude has a broken bone and it needs to be fixed. And then there's a CPT code that designates a specific procedure that's going to happen for this diagnosis. And so you can have one diagnosis, but more than one, let's say, CPT code if there are different procedures that are going to happen for that diagnosis. Likewise, if you receive one diagnosis or you're placed in one diagnosis-related group, you may have a different series of procedures or CPT codes than somebody else who has the same diagnosis. And so that's why both of these work together in a way to describe and charge the appropriate price for any medical service. The real question we're wanting to answer in this podcast episode is how can price transparency change healthcare? Is it really that game changing? And I would say if there is an increasing level of price transparency, then yes, it can change healthcare. And the reason why is because it can put more power on the individual patient about what prices they can expect to charge 
or what prices they can expect to have charged to their insurance company. What it does is instead of having a patient who is essentially a bystander in the healthcare process in terms of how much they pay, they can be an active participant in working with insurance companies in order to yield the best price. And there are a variety of ways that this can work. But one of the ways that I foresee something like price transparency changing the entire game is suppose that you have a patient who has a specific network for their insurance, but they find out that there is another hospital, let's say in their area, that charges a lower price than the price that their insurance will pay for it. And so what they can do is they can go to their insurance company and say, hey, I saw that the price that I am going to be paying or you are going to be paying for this service is higher than what I saw over here. And so you should try to match that price when you negotiate. And so what this allows is it allows for individual patients to have more power over what they understand the price to be for certain procedures. Now, if you're in healthcare, you may say, well, that's not really going to work just because of the way that insurance companies communicate with patients and patients work with healthcare providers. But all this to say is that there could be some creative solutions that could be had through price transparency. Another would be just a simple app that provides the charge master rate and the negotiated rate for specific diagnosis-related groups and CPT codes. This is easy to do, and I am tempted to do this within the Midwest area and just find the data for four or five different hospital systems and bring the data together under one data set and then show that in a very simple app. This allows at least the patient to understand how much it costs for a diagnosis-related group and or a CPT code. And so if the insurance company comes to the patient and says, hey, we charge this amount for this specific CPT code, then the patient can say, hey, well, that's not really the right price you need to pay because I found that these specific hospital systems are only charging this. And so price matching could be one way that can change the game for healthcare if there is a greater level of price transparency. Another way that price transparency could help is that specific patients could compare the prices within the United States and outside of the United States or from within the country to outside the country. And so they could compare and say, hey, I'm going to be paying this much in my insurance for this procedure in my country, but I can go to another country and get the same thing done for a fraction of the price. So all this to say is that it can allow for additional optionality when you understand the price of specific procedures or services in healthcare. Another way I think price transparency can help in the process of transforming healthcare is by increasing efficiencies within healthcare. And so the way this would work is suppose you have different prices that are charged across, let's say, an entire region, a city, etc. And if you have specific individuals who say, hey, your price is too high, and the price comes down, what that means is that the hospital or healthcare provider will have to be more efficient for those specific services that are being offered. What this means is that there will be a greater level of standardization, more so than there already is now, for different prices in order to make it more level. 
And one of the ways you can think about this is just compare Walmart to Amazon. Sometimes Walmart will have a cheaper price and sometimes Amazon will have a cheaper price. But you can always figure out by your local Walmart or your local grocery store what the price is of specific items. And then you can compare that to what it is on Amazon. And this is how I buy basic goods like, let's say, flour, uh, nuts, and any other dry goods is I compare what's the price at my local grocery store and I, then I compare it to Amazon or what is online. And so what this means is that in order to compete for the best price, you have to increase your efficiency in order to do so. And so everybody is incentivized to provide the greatest amount of value for the best price possible. The reason this doesn't happen in healthcare is because of that original example I gave about the Grand Bazaar. Essentially what you have in healthcare is you have a bunch of little shopkeepers that essentially know what the true price is in the background, but they will charge the market a different price depending on how much they can get and how much value they can derive from that specific patient. And so value-based care, whenever I hear that word or term value-based care, I kind of question what that really means. Does that really mean that you're going to deliver the best value to that specific patient? Or does that mean that you're going to charge them a different rate depending on who they are? And sometimes both of these are applicable, where you can charge a higher price for a specific patient and they value it at that higher price. And so it's tricky, right? It's like, what's the difference between a Tesla and a Toyota? Both are cars. They both run the same. Sometimes they both have batteries where they're fully electric. Sometimes they're not, et cetera. And so establishing value by an individual is very, very difficult. But on top of that difficulty, if you don't have a way to understand what the true price of something is as a patient, then all you're left with is finding the best way to negotiate the price. And that is where we are now in healthcare, where we're essentially using healthcare insurance companies to be essentially that hammer that is held over the healthcare companies or healthcare providers in order to yield the best price. So if the insurance companies don't think that that is the right price, then they'll throw the hammer down and they'll start to negotiate on what the price for that CPT code is or that diagnosis-related group. All this to say is it's kind of inefficient, right? Because you as a patient are trying to work with an insurance company to negotiate on your behalf for the service that you need from the healthcare provider. It would be a lot easier if you had a more educated patient who at least could compare prices and help inform the insurance company on what prices they should expect to pay for a different healthcare procedure. But right now in healthcare, we're kind of in a place where us as patients are left to negotiate with essentially shopkeepers that have their own individual price and they don't necessarily want and or are incentivized to show the true price of their goods or services because they will lose out on negotiating power. And fair enough, you know, if I was a market keeper at the Grand Bazaar, I really wouldn't want my customers knowing what price I'm actually paying and what my baseline price was. Because if I do give that up, then I'm giving up 
the one power I have to show that my goods are essentially at a premium to everybody else. Likewise, I don't necessarily want my competitors to know how much I'm charging my specific customers and how much I'm actually getting as far as a margin on those goods. And if there is a greater amount of price transparency, what that means is that I, as an individual shopkeeper, will have to have a greater responsibility to my customers. And what that means is that I'm going to have to undergo entirely different mechanisms for dealing with my customers than I have had for the past, let's say, thousand years at the Grand Bazaar. And what I'm trying to illustrate is that this kind of thinking is very similar to the kind of thinking within healthcare and the kind of thinking that healthcare executives have, where they don't necessarily want to divulge the prices that they're negotiating for different services or procedures because they would lose their own negotiating power. And likewise, they would have to relate to patients and insurance companies in an entirely different way where they would not have as much negotiating power and they would have to improve their efficiencies and be able to leverage other capabilities in order to reach their financial and operational goals. And if you do a little bit of research on healthcare price transparency, what you will find is that there are many different healthcare systems that are not necessarily fully complying with this executive order. And one of the reasons why is because it's not necessarily being enforced as much as some people think. On the other hand, healthcare providers have a series of other regulatory requirements that they have to meet and don't really want to meet this additional requirement of price transparency if they can help it. And so they're being dragged along this process and trying to be forced into this process of price transparency while the incentives aren't there. But for patients and for health insurance companies, it's better to have that price transparency because prices are one of the best signaling devices or signaling methods in the entire world. Prices are really one of the things that makes the world go round. If you don't know the price of something, then how can you determine its value? And even if somebody determines its intrinsic value and how much it is valued to that individual, it can change from individual to individual. And you're having to go through an insurance company to negotiate on your behalf. One of the ways I like to think about this, going back to our original example of being a tourist at the Grand Bazaar, suppose you get off this big cruise line in the Bosphorus and your first stop is the Grand Bazaar. And you find out that everybody at the Grand Bazaar, all the shopkeepers only speak Turkish. What this means is not only do you need to negotiate with these shopkeepers in a language you don't understand, but you also need an interpreter to interpret for you what you want to pay for what specific good. And so not only are you paying for that good or service, you now have to pay for a few hours of an interpreter to go with you to every single shop to interpret for you what you want specifically. And you can start to understand the kinds of shenanigans or the kinds of unforeseen circumstances that happen in these kinds of scenarios where if you are a tourist who just gets off the boat and now you have to find an interpreter, well, that interpreter could then have pre-negotiated a series of different 
prices or terms with different shopkeepers about the prices for certain goods. And so suppose you're that tourist and you say, hey, Mr. Interpreter, I trust you. You know, I only met you for two or three minutes, but you seem like a good person. So let's go and let's go and buy something from these Turkish market keepers. So you do that and the interpreter says, well, these are the prices and these are the specific places where I have found the best deals. And you say, okay, well, sure, I trust you. And so you go to those specific markets and you pay really what you think is a reasonable amount for those different goods or services. And the shopkeeper is nice and and kind to you. The interpreter helps you communicate to those shopkeepers, and it's all a very good experience. But when you get back to the boat, you find out that you've paid two or three times more than somebody else who didn't have an interpreter and already spoke Turkish and could negotiate for themselves. And this is one way that somebody could look at the healthcare industry in the United States and in the modern world, where we essentially have a patient who doesn't have much purchasing power, but they rely on a third party to negotiate on their behalf. But that specific patient doesn't really understand the terms or agreements between the insurance company and the provider. And so without price transparency, it can be very hard to know if the price you're being charged is the appropriate price. And that's where I believe that if we had a greater level of price transparency within the United States and within different countries and different healthcare systems, then the patient could be more in charge of their healthcare than they otherwise would have been. If this is an interesting topic to you, then feel free to reach out to us and you can email us at podcast at arcosanalytics.com. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter if you want to find us there, where we post all our podcasts, video content, and everything else. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you later.